Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. I think someone's going to smash the Premier League goals record this season. Ooh. Hello, Dan Bardell here with you alongside George Ellick to preview this week's Premier League action. And George, let's start with your hot take from week one of the Premier League. It's going to be, I think, a new world record of upsetting a group of fans, isn't it? About five seconds into the podcast and you're already asking me for a hot take. Producer Abby isn't going to be very happy with me either. But I, I just think the positivity around Arsenal after last Friday's game, I think, has been a little bit overblown. That's my hot take. Now, I'm going to... Caveat this, because I know, Dan, you were very impressed. I thought for the first half an yeah. hour of the game, they were superb. Like, electric attacking play. We saw Zinchenko and, and Jesus, exactly what they're going to offer. Martinelli looked incredibly sharp. Up against the Palace side that I really rate. There is no denying how good they were up until the first goal. But I thought it was very concerning how they played after the goal. I don't think, based on that isolated 90 minutes, we can necessarily say that they are ironed out. Well, don't worry, Arsenal fans, because one of George's hot takes last week was that Odison Edouard was going to be a candidate for the Golden Boot. He didn't get off to a flying start. It should have been one from one. It would have been away then. And also, and, and you know, Mitrovic and his, you know, you told me not to fall into the trap, two in one to start with. I did do that. But you don't get the Golden Boot for missing chances, George. <laughs> I'll throw in my hot take ever so quickly before we get to Tim. I think João Paulinha for Fulham Maybe one of the smartest signings this transfer window. That's my hot take from week one. I was very, very impressed with him, George. I thought he was brilliant mm. up against Liverpool. I think him and Harrison Reid, actually the makings of a nice little midfield partnership there. But he offered physicality, anticipation, put himself in the in the right place, won the ball back an awful amount for, for Fulham as well. I thought he was so, so impressive. And actually, you know, Portugal International, it's a great signing for Fulham. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, he's 27 years of age as well. He's the kind of perfect age to bring in that that type of player. And, and Harrison Reid is a, a lovely footballer, um, but given his diminutive uh, size, maybe I think having someone like that alongside him is the best way to, to for, for Fulham to play. And, and, you know, Fulham, a lot of negativity, as we said last week, ahead of the season. Um, but for both them and for Bournemouth, the season could, could really got off to a better start in, in terms of both uh, the performances they put in and, and the points they're able to get. Yeah, and I teased it just a second ago, but our, our guest with us this week, George, is Tim Spears again. Like Connor Cody, former Wolves, now London correspondent, Tim. You're nodding your head with with my hot take. I didn't see you nod, nod your head too much when George came up with his hot, hot take. But when I said mine, <laughs> you were nodding away. I did a bit of research into Jao Polina when, uh, when Wolves had a look at him earlier in the summer. And yeah, I, I'm just surprised that Fulham have managed to get him, to be honest. No, completely agree, Dan. Good shout. What's your hot take, Tim? So I'm going to bring a bit of positivity after after George's... Um, not, not, what George wants. <laughs> not what George wants from a podcast. I'm a bad cop. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a prediction, really. Kind of After seeing Haaland, Haaland score twice and Nunes look great in a few minutes and Salah as well, I think someone's going to smash the Premier League goals record this season. Um, I like it. In a 38-game season, you're looking at Salah, who got 32 in 2017-18. I think... 
potentially Haaland, potentially Nunes, maybe Salah, maybe Kane. I think someone's going to smash that this year. Do you? Smash it, like obliterate it. Goal a game type record, you know, but potentially Haaland. Are we on 40 watch? <laughs> we, well, if, he, if he stays fit, we could be on 40 watch, couldn't we, with Haaland, looking at how he was finishing against West Ham. With Mitrovic, you know, he's, 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 he, he did it last year, didn't he? So why not? Yeah. Let's see. I like that. Some some interesting takes there. Except for you, George. Yours, yours, <laughs> yours are just harsh, in my opinion. But we're not here for last weekend. Last weekend is dead to us, and it's certainly dead to me as an Aston Villa fan. This is the Athletic Preview Show, and we're going to be giving you the knowledge you need ahead of the biggest matches coming up this weekend. Unfortunately for me, we are starting with Aston Villa v Everton. It's Gerard v Lampard 2.0, which is the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday at Villa Park. Tim, two sides who both lost, although I would say Everton's defeat was better than Villa's defeat, if you can have such thing as a good defeat, because I thought they earned the right to play against Chelsea. They were in the game. They ran them close, lost to a penalty. That can happen against a team like Chelsea. But Villa were just purely rotten, Tim. Get your signings done early, they say, Dan. Win all your pre-season games, they say. <laughs> Villa had the perfect summer, we were told. And then, yeah, what was it, two shots on target at Bournemouth? And suddenly, you kind of look at a host of, of issues and see that they've got a lot of problems. And, and Gerard was sounding under pressure post-match to me. And comments about Tyrone Mings, which have been um, taken a number of different ways. But either way, it's not great that that's, that that's a public issue. It just looks so basic to me that, that Villa's lack of height would be exposed by... Kiefer Moore, and, and lo and behold, that's what happened. Was it one goal from a corner, one goal from uh, a cross? Yeah, and that was from a set piece breakdown as well. So it was set pieces that were the problem for Villa. Exactly. So you know, you got Tyrone Mings. Many would say Villa's best defender sat on the bench. A, a bit of a public to and fro with Steven Gerrard, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of unhappy Villa fans out there, Dan, as, as you'll know. And you go into a home game against Everton, an early kickoff. On Saturday, the, the, it sounds ludicrous, but we know it's true. The, pre, the press is sort of starting starting to build a bit, really, with, with these issues that are ongoing. So, you know, what was it? Two wins in eleven to end last season, and they were against Norwich and Burnley. By all accounts, Kamara had a really promising debut, and you know he's going to be an important player this season. But but it's further up the pitch where Villa's problems lie to me. But then you know you look at what happened on Saturday. There's problems in the defence as well. There's problems in the midfield as well. You'll be pleased to hear, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only place that's not problems is the goalkeeper at the, at the moment. I think he's the only one that uh, Villa fans are completely satisfied with. I agree with you that if Villa were to go behind on Saturday, there's the potential that it could turn toxic quite that's quickly. Crazy. As is the we're talking about, we're talking about toxic on the opening home game of the season. That is crazy. And I'm, I'm actually dreading it, to, to be honest. I'm dreading going to Villa Park. I said I should be looking forward to it, shouldn't you? Oh, mate. That's sad to hear. Only because of that atmosphere thing. That's that's the bit That's the bit I'm dreading because I can quite easily see Villa going behind and it just turning and that's that's the bit that concerns me and makes me not look forward to it. But first home game of the season, where, you know, you want, it's, it's, it's going to be a heat wave, Dan. Birmingham's going to be going to be beautiful and sunny. Where's that sunny optimism? Yeah, Birmingham's always beautiful, Tim. You know that. <laughs> George is our resident EFL guy. Michael Beale. QPR, from what I've heard, were very good against Middlesbrough, in particular the first half last weekend. Is that more of a blow that he's left Villa than it perhaps seems? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, it, it depends on on, on the Neil Critchley appointment. Um, you know, for those who weren't following this story over the summer, 
uh, Michael Beale, or apparently Mick Beale, as he likes to be known, Dan. Uh, that's the, the... I did notice Mick Beale in the script, and I, I didn't know whether to go with it, and I bottled it. Yeah, yeah. So now you, you'll see QPR, their official website, now only refer to him as Mick, because he, he's requested to go you know, yeah. to go forward, like uh, like Billy from Neighbours back in the day. He asked him to be called Bill from now on. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Mick no. is... What? Mick is a... Uh, <laughs> It's a good reference, good reference. for those of you. Well, I mean, it's it's topical as well after uh, you know, Neighbours had yeah. the ending last week. Yeah, for Beale, he was Gerard's right-hand man at Rangers and Gerard's right-hand man at Villa. And, you know, Dan, you'll know better than me, but it sounds like the relationship between the manager and the assistant manager when Steven Gerrard is the manager is is different to lots of other clubs where Gerrard very much manages the culture. He's very much the man manager. He's the figurehead for the whole club. But in terms of the actual, the coaching side of things and, and being the, the chief tactician, that falls at the, at the feet of the, of the assistant. So you could argue that not only has Steven Gerrard lost his, his right right hand man, but he's basically lost his right hand here. With with, with Mick Beale being the person who has overseen so much of, of what he's done that's positive. But Neil Critchley's come in from from Blackpool, having done an incredible job as their manager over, you know, eighteen months. He, he did half a season uh, where he took them up from uh, League One, and then a brilliant campaign last season where they were safe in in the Championship. And it just might take a bit more time. I'm guessing is what I'm saying. There might be a little bit more. Uh, in terms of, of a need for, for, for Critchley to settle into his job. Um, and maybe normally when you'd see an assistant manager change, you wouldn't necessarily think it would impact the playing style quite as much as it, as it might do at Villa. So Beale, I think, will be a loss. And I think it might be fair just to give Gerrard and, and Critchley a bit of time to to get their you know, their tactics together and sorted for next season, for, well, for this season. I did enjoy the Neighbours reference, Thank by you. the way. Sad news, Neighbours ending. If we carry on with Neighbours references, though, I feel this podcast may end. <laughs> now, Tim, my friend and yours, Greg Evans, he wrote a piece this week on Tyrone. He's kind of putting water on the fire a little bit, trying to trying to play down the stuff that's happened in, in, in the last week. From the outside looking in, what have you made of the Mings Gerrard situation? I mean, there are obvious parallels with um, with Connor Cody, who, who yeah, a, a good friend of Mings actually, and someone who, who he'll be up against yeah. this weekend, obviously. And there's the World Cup around the corner for for both of them. Mings has been out of the squad recently. You know, Cody's still in it for now. I just feel like we're both players. They're such big personalities and, and they run those dressing rooms. And when you take the captaincy away, I can't remember a situation you guys might might have one that springs to mind where, you know, someone loses the captaincy, a big personality in the dressing room and they stay in the dressing room and, and, and it ends well. You know, it, it, it might be best to have, to have a clean break if, it, break if, it, if he's not going to be playing. However, you know, given the way that Villa played the other day, you, you'd expect means to perhaps come back into the team this weekend when, when you've got someone like Paul McGrath saying, you know, he, he should be in the team. You've got to stand up and take notice of that. And, um, yeah, it's it's not a good situation. I think Mings has handled it really, really well publicly. But I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that dressing room and, and see how that dynamic is playing out at the moment. Everton, George. A couple of signings in this week. Onana and Cody have gone to Everton. A bit of presence in Onana. And Cody, if Lampard's planning to play with a back three, that's a smarter signing as I think they could have made. And he will help change the culture in the dressing room at Everton like he did at Wolves. Yeah, you would think so. Cody is someone who is seemingly such a good influence off the pitch that he gets a spot in, in Gareth Southgate's England squads purely for that ability rather than necessarily what he's going to offer um, on the pitch itself. So for a club who've underachieved fairly consistently uh, over the last few seasons to get someone in like Cody who should be able to, to help manage the uh, you know the younger players and change the culture is important. In Anana, I'm not you know I'm not going to pretend that I saw much of him at Lille last season, but he comes in with a decent reputation and is you know a very good age. Uh, at 20 to progress at the club. But it, it does seem 
a little bit strange to me that we're not seeing Everton look to bring in some attacking reinforcements. Calvert-Lewin injured again. Uh, this is becoming a bit of a concern how regularly he's on the, you know, he's in the in the treatment room. And then a bizarre decision, in, in my opinion, to loan Ellis Sims out to Sunderland. Sims has proven in a couple of loan spells, both kind of south and north of the border, to be a very exciting, very skillful. I mean, for, he's, he's a big guy, a big unit who can hold the ball up, but has a, a, an eye for gold and is very, very good with the ball at his feet. They loaned him out to Sunderland. So on a day where they open their Premier League season with Anthony Gordon playing as a lone striker or effectively playing without a striker, you had Ellis Sims scoring twice in the championship for Sunderland. Uh, madness, in my opinion, to, to let him go, given how short they are of options up front. And then Nathan Broadhead, another player who, yes, he was playing in League One last season, but is a striker, has been loaned out to Wigan again this campaign. It's just a lack of foresight, in my opinion. Why loan out these players now when you have a striking crisis now? You've got until the end of the window to do so. So it seems a bit odd to me. Che Adams has been linked, who you know is a, is a player that I saw a lot playing in the in the championship for Birmingham. He is a very, very good player. Wasteful maybe in front of goal, but in terms of leading the line, having the pace to get in behind, being able to hold the ball up, decent vision, runs the channels well. You know, he's an all-action striker who I think will suit the, what they want and he will be a very good player to either play alongside um, Calvert-Lewin. You know, he's often played in the two. He played alongside Lukas Jukovic, um, you know, another a, a target man at Birmingham to good effect or, or play up front on his own. Uh, I think he's a good, would be a good addition, but it just seems... It's very, very hard. If you lose ground early in a Premier League season, suddenly you're going to look at the fixtures and it's hard to work out where you're going to make that ground back up. And for them to loan out two young, promising strikers who've proven themselves in the EFL just looked a little bit short-sighted to me without anyone ready to, to come in and step up. Now, Tim, I can't have you on here without asking you about Conor Cody, a player you've covered for a number of years. I'm surprised. Wolves have sold him because I think that strengthens Everton and severely weakens Wolves. I know there's talk of Wolves perhaps switching to a back four and there's always talk that Cody can't play in a back four. But even as a loss around the place, I think that's huge. And I don't see many natural leaders at Wolves unless I'm being blind. No, they're not. I mean, Ruben Neves will get the captaincy now and, and Wolves might think that that will help him stick around longer term. But he's, he's not the noisiest. And, you know, I can tell you from watching him during the pandemic season, it's it's Cody or no one in terms of shouting. Now, they will. I'm sure others will step up, but... Yeah, um, it, it is a big loss for Wolves. I mean, they are going to play four at the back exclusively this this season and Bruno Lage has made his judgment, as I think Nuno did before him, that, that Cody can't play that role. So I think he will have a really massive part to play at Everton and my God, you know, that they need him. Um, I mean, I look at that 11 they put out on, at the weekend, it just screams relegation battle to me. Um, you know, no matter whether Calvert-Lewin comes back soon or not. So, uh, you know, he, the two players they brought off the bench as well, I mean, Deli Ali, who's just been sleepwalking through his career for a couple of years, and Ruben Vinagra, who was, who was back up at Wolves and back up at Sporting. So, yeah, they desperately need some some quality in the next few weeks. But but Cody will add some defensive stability and, and certainly some positivity. I mean, you know, as um, George was suggesting earlier, Steve Holland said he was one of England's most important players at the Euros and he didn't kick a ball. And I can tell you firsthand, you know, just one of the nicest guys in football and one of the one of the guys that, um, that people have run through brick walls for in the dressing room. Yeah, class act, Connor Cody. We'll stay with you, Tim. I want two things from you. I want a prediction and then I want a one-word answer of who's under more pressure, Lampard or Gerrard. Gerrard, because he's got a much better squad and I think that's also the reason that they will win uh, at the weekend. Two teams really short of confidence, but I think Villa's quality will will, will come through. And same for you, George? Yeah, I think Villa will likely win the game. Um, being at home, I think it's going to be important. And even before it gets toxic, I think the Villa faithful will, will do their best to make it a pretty difficult place for Everton to come. Uh, but I do think whoever does lose this game, 
um, the pressure will start to ramp up because it's a short short season and, and losing back-to-back games um, is not a very good way to ensure that you're not being sucked into the, uh, the, the fight at the bottom. Very good. Next up for us, it's Brentford v Manchester United, which is the Saturday tea time. And George, we have to start with Manchester United here. Their performance against Brighton, I will caveat it by saying Brighton, I thought were very, very good. Can you come up with one positive for Manchester United fans off, off the back of that game? Because I'd struggle to come up with one. Uh, I don't think I can. No, uh, it was, I mean, I guess they scored, which, you know, in the very base terms of, of football has to be uh, a positive. But um, in terms of the actual performance itself, there was very little to get excited about. Um, you know, they set up, it's it's just mad that we've got to this stage of Manchester United and they set up effectively playing Christian Eriksen as a false nine, um, which, which in itself isn't necessarily the worst idea, but it, it's not what he was brought in to do. Um, they have had... All summer, knowing that Cristiano Ronaldo, um, A, is their only actual genuine striker option and B, that he's been unhappy at the club and, and hasn't been training for the best part of pre-season. So to go into the first game, um, you know, having gone so hard to recruit one of the most exciting coaches in European football over the course of, you know, for the second half of last season, to be caught so short in terms of recruitment on opening day is, is is nothing short of embarrassing. You know, there was very little to get excited about in the performance itself. As you say, Brighton were were very, very good value for their two-goal lead. It was only once, uh, as Game State will often suggest, was once Brighton were 2-0 ahead when United started to actually formulate some kind of um, attacking threat, but it was, it was too little too late. So Ten Hag's got a massive job on his hands and this feels to me like uh, people have to now understand that a, a good job done by Ten Hag is just forming some kind of semblance of, of a plan going forward. It's not a top four finish. It's not even necessarily a top six finish. It, it's creating and galvanising a group of players into being a coherent unit with a clear style of play because right now they are they are so far away from that. And I think that teams are going to continually go to Old Trafford or, or host Manchester United. There isn't a single team in the Premier League who won't think that they have a decent chance of beating them. And that puts them in a, in a very difficult position. Yeah, I guess the good news for Manchester United fans, Tim, is that we've kind of gone back in time. Arnautovic and Rabiot are the names being linked with Manchester United, so in some ways we might see Sir Alex Ferguson in the dugout this weekend. And they've got Anthony Martial back this weekend to to lead the line. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly thought that Arnautovic thing was was a joke. I, I, it's I, baffling. I, I could not believe what I was reading. You know, when you look at who their rivals have signed this summer, obviously Haaland, Nunes. Richarlison going to Spurs, Gabriel Jesus going to Arsenal, and they're, they're trying to sign Arnautovic, who's been in China and Bologna for the last three years. Just, just crazy. And 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 then it's sort of even worse that they've gone back on it now, thanks to a bit, a bit of fan reaction, you know, apparently, um, and the neg- negativity from that means they're pulled out of a deal. So the whole, the whole club's just a mess. I mean, there, there were a couple of delicious twists from that Brighton defeat, where you've got Danny Welbeck's the best forward on the pitch. Who I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying United shouldn't have sold him many years ago, but still, there was there was a bit of irony in that. And then I'm reading from Laurie Whitwell that um, Graham Potter wasn't considered for the United job in the summer because he's got no Champions League experience. Well, what's the next year they're going to be in the Champions League? You know, <laughs> it's, it doesn't look like next season for me at, at all. I questioned last week. Whether they'd hit rock bottom last season, well, if they lose at Brentford, they've got Liverpool next week. If if, if Man United start the season with, with three defeats, then yeah, they will be heading towards rock bottom. Problems all over the pitch. They've still got the same midfield pairing as last season, which I find astonishing. Paul Scholes yeah, absolutely, absolutely scathing about them at, at the weekend, and, and rightly so. So hardly any of these 
problems have been caused by Ten Hag or, or any of them, in fact, but it's his job to somehow fix them. It, it feels like an impossible job at this moment in time. Yeah, another interesting tidbit from that game that Sky said that Saicedo for Brighton, Manchester United could have signed him, but decided not to. And he was the best midfielder on the park by an absolute mile, completely outshining Fred and McTominay. Yeah, Carl Anker's done a piece and that's a do go and read about that if you haven't done so already. George, Brentford. Came back from 2-0 down on the opening day. Good to see Josh De Silva on the score sheet because he struggled with injuries a little bit. He's a player that perhaps people don't know much about. I'm imagining you do because you always do <laughs> for this kind of player. But he came back with a bang. Yeah, I mean, you're mining me for my EFL knowledge here. Uh, rightly so as well. But it's uh, much better than my Premier League knowledge. It makes sense that you'd be on the Premier League preview than George. <laughs> <laughs> Except everyone knows the best talent comes from the EFL. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, De Silva is a, a player who... No, he was offered the chance to stay at Arsenal as a youth team player. And um, and Brentford managed to sneak in at a time where they were doing incredibly good business in terms of recruiting Premier League academy grads who weren't going to get an opportunity in the first team. And he is such a, a talented player. You know, he was always the player before his injuries in, in the championship for Brentford who you knew was going to be destined to, to play top-end Premier League football with or without Brentford. Uh, incredibly silky on the ball. He, he's one of those classic midfielders where you look at him and he looks like a, a bit of a midfield powerhouse, but his his touch is so silky. His vision is superb. He's got an eye for the spectacular in terms of, of the goals that he scores as well. And I always love it when you, you, know, you have players who come back from a serious injury and you always wonder if they're going to be the same player. And then you see them provide a, a moment of magic like the one we saw for the equaliser on Saturday uh, or Sunday because it shows that that player is still there. And, and, and I do think for... It's a cliche, but he is he is a new signing for, for Brentford this season. If he's going to be fit for the whole campaign, he's going to offer something very, very different in midfield to, to what they had last season. I think it'll give them a bit of a spark in the final third that they've needed. And um, he's a player who's who's already got a great affinity with the fan base and the club as well. So delighted to see him get the the equaliser. And, and I'm sure if he stays fit, he'll be a, he'll be a popular fantasy football pick, I reckon, uh, in a couple of weeks' time as well. Yeah, and Tim? Come 7.30, Christian Eriksen could be at Brentford thinking, what on earth have I done here if Brentford come away with the three points? But Brentford have replaced him with the next Christian Eriksen. It's Euro 2020 golden boy Mikael Damsgaard. Good, good signing, I would say, for Brentford, that. Yes, he's Danish and creative and exciting, but I think he's quite a different player to Christian Eriksen, which is, um, he's pretty quick, really good dribbler, obviously a score of a spe- spectacular goals, as we know. Good defensively too. I think he's got four four goals and six assists in 13 appearances for Denmark, which is pretty good. Brentford scored 48 goals last season, which is which is a pretty decent return, you know, for, for a promoted side. But I think they do need a few more players who are going to have a few more goal involvements. And people like Keen Lewis Potter, De Silva, as, as we've mentioned, and Damsgaard will really add to the quality that they've got. I think Ivan Tony's going to have a, going to have a good season as well. So. I think a lot of people probably look at potential second season syndrome with Brentford, but at, at the moment, I, I, I don't see that. I think they've got enough quality about them to um, to do something decent again this year. And prediction time, Tim. Can they get three points against Manchester United? Yes, 2-1. Two, 2-1 one. Two, one to Brentford. George? The odds have Manchester United as being even money to win the game. So basically a 50% chance Manchester United win, 50% chance it's a draw or Brentford, which I think is why... This is a very awkward game for Eric Tenard because if you ask Manchester United fans what are the chances of them winning, they would have it much higher than 50%. But I, I think that United will drop points. I don't think we saw anything on Sunday that, that suggests they are anywhere near what is needed to go to Brentford and, and win this game easily as their fans would expect. So I'm going to say, uh, I'll say a score draw, but I think, um, I think I don't think United will win. 
No, I agree with that. Forest v West Ham next for us, the 2pm on Sunday kickoff. Now, George Forrester, the promoted team that seemed to carry the most optimism going into the first week. They've lost at Newcastle, which can happen. Newcastle are going well at the moment. Do we change our thinking about them based on that opening day? I don't think so. Um, I think Newcastle looked very good, crucially here, because not only did, did Forrest lose the game, I mean, Newcastle were dominant and were very good value for their win as well and, and probably could have uh, won by, by a bigger margin. But for Forrest, you know, there's so much pre-season optimism off, off the back of what was an amazing second half of the campaign last season. It was a very difficult place to go first up. You know, the, the amount of positivity at Newcastle ahead of this season where, you know, it was, even though, the new ownership was in uh, for the second half of last season. Uh, the game on Saturday was the first game of, of the new Newcastle era where their fans are expecting that the, the era will end with not just Premier League success, but continental success as well. And that made this uh, a difficult role to try and play the party pooper. But there was very there was very little uh, about Forrest's uh, attacking play that suggested they were up to the task of getting, out of the, getting anything out of this game. They're fairly resolute. They will have much easier games going forward. And, you know, I'm not going to mark them down for that. Um, I think we'll learn a lot more about them in this home game here against West Ham uh, and then going to Everton as well, who at the moment looked set to be one of the teams that they're going to have to be battling with in order to try and stay up. So I'm not going to mark them down, but there's no denying that of the three promoted sides from the championship, there was most positivity about Forest going into the, the season and they were unquestionably looked the least adept uh, on opening weekend to, to make a fist out of staying up. Yeah, and Tim, West Ham, don't think they'll be too concerned about losing 2-0 to Manchester City. So their season kind of starts in earnest here. They'll probably be worried about the centre-back situation. But one thing they have done, they've strengthened their, their strength and depth up front with Skamaka. And then they brought in Maxwell Corner in the week as well. So suddenly they've now got a few different options in that front three, which they didn't really have last season. And this will aid them in Europe as well. Corne is a great addition. I'm sure that a number of Premier League clubs would have looked at him. I mean, he's 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 ready made to hit the ground running this season. I do think that they do have a lack of depth elsewhere at the moment, though. I mean, behind Rice and Suchek in midfield, it's not a huge amount. I mean, they tried to sign Anana before he went to Everton this week, which kind of shows you where their priorities lie. And then they've got this this yeah injury crisis already. Uh, first came into the season, Fabianski and Zuma went off at the weekend. I think they played Ben Johnson at centre half. I don't know who they're going to play there this weekend. It's a good time for Forrest to play them, I think. West Ham will be fine in a few weeks, but at the moment, yeah, with um, I think they've got four or five centre-halves out at the moment, so it's it's really not an, an ideal start to season for them, but I'm sure they'll be fine. I mean, if I was Issa Diop, I'd be a bit confused about my career because West Ham have got no centre-back that still allowed him <laughs> to go to Fulham this week, so that doesn't say much about him at all. Predictions for this one then, George, I'll come to you first. I think Forrest gets something out of the game. I will say a, a score draw again. And you, Tim? Uh, I think I think Forrest will win. Uh, looking forward to looking forward to seeing what what Brennan Johnson can do. He only touched the ball twenty times at, at the weekend, so um, so yeah, I, lots of optimism for their first home game. Uh, I think they win one 0 Thank you very much. That's three games done, and we've got two tasty ones to come still as well. Up next, we're headed to Tim's patch for Chelsea v Tottenham. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? 
It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Dan Bardell here alongside George Ellick and Tim Spears looking ahead to the weekend fixtures and we're on to Super Sunday now. It's Chelsea v Tottenham, the 4.30pm kickoff. Now this is a game that I'm sure most football fans and most Premier League fans are looking forward to. Historically, George, not one that Tottenham fans look forward to. <laughs> Could this year be different? I think it might be. Both teams obviously won on opening day and um, but there's no denying that coming into the season... That the feeling around both clubs was very different with Chelsea seemingly um, treading water a little bit to try and um, keep up the pace with with the top two after a disappointing campaign last season domestically and then a very poor pre-season uh, and quite clear um, issues in terms of their previous owner and getting a new owner in. Whereas Tottenham under Antonio Conte, the, the progression is rapid. And I think on opening day, we kind of saw that play out in both games. Chelsea beat Everton, which is a, an awkward away game. They did so with a penalty and... Not for the first time, you know, Edouard Mendy had to make a, a fair few saves in order to, to get them that point up against a side who, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, their injury issues meant that um, they didn't have a recognised striker on the pitch. For, for Spurs, there was a moment after James Ward-Prowse. I think every football fan on Saturday, when James Ward-Prowse put Tottenham behind, when, when Saints went ahead, thought this is going to be classic Spurs, all the positivity, and then they're going to crumble uh, early on in the season. But none of it at all. They were superb after that, after going behind, winning the game 4-1 in dominating fashion. Uh, and I think coming into this game, um, you know, surprisingly for those who, who, you know, may not look at the betting odds, I think the perception would be this would be very, very tight with you know, home advantage clearly with Chelsea, but but not making Chelsea massive favourites. But the bookies have them strong favourites. I think they're 5-4 to four to win the game with, Chelsea, with, with Spurs about 5-2. Uh, to two. And I think that's at odds with public perception here where it would feel to me like Spurs come into this with nothing to lose, with Chelsea everything to lose in a derby game and Spurs probably boasting the better squad in better form and probably the better manager as well. So yes, this is a game that Chelsea normally dominate and and history would suggest they would so again, but I I can't really remember a Spurs side travelling to to Chelsea in the last couple of seasons with with more going for them and more doubts around Chelsea ahead of the big derby. Yeah, I, I fancy Tottenham. To be honest, I think Chelsea are still building their squad. Tottenham's is, is pretty much there, but I guess Spurs fans will just always be concerned about that abhorrent record that they have at Stamford Bridge. And on that subject, if you roll back the time machine to January of this year and Spurs against Chelsea was not a happy hunting ground, again, for the team in white. Over on The View from the Lion podcast, Charlie Eccleshare had this to say on Spurs' transition. I'm sure, Danny, you'll be feeling, if, if not pessimistic, realistic. You know, Spurs have won one of their last 37 visits to Sanford Bridge. So clearly, I don't think anyone at Spurs or who supports them, uh, who's at the club, is going to be feeling complacent. But if you compare and contrast, I mean, it was just, they, they got battered in some of those games in January. It was so, or not even battered, it was almost worse than that. It was 
just being held at arm's length. Just Chelsea like, were in really second. Chelsea beat them yeah. in second it, gear, didn't they? Yeah, they just cruised yeah. it. It was like this is so easy for us. I think Dan, you made the analogy at the time of like an older brother doing that thing to a younger <laughs> one, where they just put the hand exactly on their what face I thought and, about and it, let yeah. them sort of swing punches, uh, and it did have that feel. And now, you know, you look at it. A lot of people are predicting, not just on this podcast, are predicting that Spurs will finish above Chelsea. You know, Conte talked about a large gap between the teams at that time. He said, we can't even, there's no comparison between the two teams. He was so doom and gloom. Very different picture now. Excellent stuff. And for more Spurs insight, you can listen to The View from the Lion podcast every Monday and Thursday. Tim, four goals on the opening weekend for Spurs. And unfortunately for my fantasy football team, nothing for Kane or Son, but Kulazewski. My word, that that was probably the performance of, of the weekend, wasn't it? He is sensational. Just adds a completely different dimension to their attack. And um, was it the graphic that popped up on Match of the Day? It's since since the start of February, it's him, Kane, and Son, top of the chart for goal involvements, which just bodes so well for the for the season ahead. And the fact they got Richarlison on the on the bench, probably behind them, just shows you how how strong they are and how authoritative they look. And the fact that Southampton opening the scoring just didn't dampen their determination at all and they just swatted him aside and uh, you know none of their new signings were were in the 11 at the weekend you know we we talk about Spurs having such a good window and yet Richarlison, Perisic and Basuma were were not none of whom started so um, they've got strength in depth all over the pitch and if ever there's a time to go and beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge like George has said then they look very well placed to, to go and do it this weekend. There's nothing but good vibes around, around Spurs at the moment. Conte is an unbelievable manager. Already the turnaround in the short space of time he's been there. He is some manager. And Jack Pitbrook has written on whether this is actually Kulazewski's year. So go and have a look at that on The Athletic if you haven't done so already. George Werner has followed Lukaku out the door at Chelsea. Surely they're going to bring in a new striker because they're well short in that department. And actually... They're being linked heavily with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I managed to convince myself earlier on Sky that that could be a good deal for Chelsea. What do you think? Yeah, I like it, uh, if I'm honest. I think they they have every single kind of attacker uh, that you need apart from an out-and-out goalscorer. And we've seen different types of goalscorer, you know, Werner and Lukaku being the most recent to come through Chelsea and struggle. But in terms of of what Aubameyang brings, he is just an out-and-out player who, who, who will thrive playing through the middle uh, in, in their system, uh, who we know is an elite level finisher. He's clinical in terms of what he does in the box. Um, and it's a short-term fix. Uh, and Chelsea have thrived on short-term fixes for the last two decades. Um, you know, it's not somebody who they'll be, they'll be able to groom to be leading their line for years to come. But we saw in a very uh, short spell at Barcelona last season that if you drop Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang into a side who create a lot of chances, then he will score goals. And that's exactly what I think Chelsea will be as well. Um, I think the likes of Havertz and Sterling will thrive as well by having that presence in the box to allow them the, the space uh, either side of him too. Um, I like it. You know, I, I'm not necessarily advocating it as, as the best practice for a club uh, looking for long-term sustainable success. But in terms of providing Chelsea what they need right now, uh, I think it would be a good fit and I'm sure it's score goals. Yeah, Chelsea have kind of got these two transfer strategies going on at the moment. They've got the short term of trying to make themselves successful now, which would include trying to sign someone like Aubameyang, who I do think would be a good signing because he's a clinical striker and he's worked with Tuchel before, although he's a completely different player to the player that he was when he played under Tuchel all those years ago. But they've also got this Project 2030 on the go as well, where they're trying to sign younger players like Carney Chukwemeka 
and they're just trying to bring some players through and get the academy thriving as well. So Chelsea have got kind of got two transfer spheres going on at the moment. Prediction time then. Tim, I'll come to you first. What are you going for? I think it's going to be Spurs. I think it's going to be a great game. De- definitely the game of the weekend. Can't wait for it. But yeah, yeah Spurs have got so, so much momentum and confidence. I just think um, I think they're legit one 0 George. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think the, the more you know, if Spurs go ahead, I can see them picking Chelsea off regularly as Chelsea have to come out. I think they'll exploit that, exploit that space in behind. So I think if Spurs win, they'll do it by by two or three. Spurs fans, I'm going to add fuel to the fire as well. I'm going to chuck in my first prediction of the day. I think Spurs will go there and win 2-0 against Chelsea for the reasons that I stated at the top end of this preview of this game. Let's finish with Liverpool v Palace and Monday Night Football is back. Tim, were Liverpool poor or were Fulham good in that 2-2 draw? There was there was a few worrying signs from Liverpool, a bit of a stodgy display. Pitch was too dry, Dan. That was the that was the problem this according to Klopp. Ha- this can happen. This can happen, can't it? Um, it's 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 not an ideal fixture on the opening day. You know, newly promoted team away from home, but you'd still expect Liverpool to win that. Um, really interesting to hear Klopp criticise his team's attitude. Um, not enough to earn a hug after the game. He said, um, "That's the that's the Klopp barometer of whether they played well or not. Whether they can get a if hug. you're not getting hugs, you're in trouble." Um, there is a slight issue. I mean, Thiago being injured again. I was reading a piece on the Athletic this week uh, about the win percentages with with and without. It, it was eighty eight percent. They won eighty eight percent of their games with him last season and won sixty two percent of their games without him. You know we know how important he is. It'd be really interesting to see who comes in the eleven for him. You'd imagine Naby Keita or James Milner will get the nod, but I, I'd love to see Harvey Elliott start. I, I think he, he might was, be he Harvey was, Elliott. New contract. Yeah, absolutely. You know he was one of their. One of the one of the best players at the weekend, but also in pre-season and also at the start of last season before before he got his injury. I think he's done enough to start. Uh, he's only nineteen, but he's such an exciting prospect. I really hope he does start. Yeah, George, Bobby Firmino, discuss a shadow of his former self in a lot of ways. It was really surprising to see him start. I thought on the weekend. Uh, I think everyone assumed that Nunez would would start from the, from the off after um, coming on and doing what he did in the in the Community Shield. I mean, I mean, Roberto Firmino is a a very, very talented player who we've seen be so effective in that role uh, playing up front for, for Liverpool. But it does kind of feel like his day, his days of being a starter are probably numbered. Um, I think as long as after what happened against Fulham uh, with Nunez coming on and changing the game as he did, I also thought that Nunez's goal was one of the most underrated finishes I've pretty much ever seen. It was like a, a backheel flick volley um, into the it's, roof. It's because he nearly did it about five Yeah, I know. Before, I know. <laughs> Um, I, I think we're now going to see uh, Nunez um, start through the middle and, and it seems unlikely that Firmino would be able to, to get that spot back unless there are injuries uh, and especially with young players coming through as well. Um, you know, he's, he's been a magnificent player. I wouldn't rule him out still having a big part to play off the back of a poor hour against Fulham on opening day. But, you know, I, I saw a stat saying that Liverpool had comfortably the the, the highest age average first eleven on um, over the weekend in the first game week, which isn't something we'd necessarily expect from Klopp. And, you know, we should point out that both Carvalho and Elliot did come on um, fairly early in the game to, to try and change things. But uh, it does feel like maybe things are starting to move on to the, the newer generation at Liverpool. Um, we're exiting a certain cycle and Firmino might be one of those to um, to lose out. Yeah, Harvey Elliott, as I mentioned, signed a new deal till 2027. On Carvalho, George, is he, is he ready? Is he ready for Premier League football? Is he ready... For- for Premier League football at an elite club like Liverpool? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was 
I was very ready to be anti um, Carvalho last season because he's one of those players who got he got a couple of minutes late in the Premier League season, scored a goal, and everyone was going mad. And I was like, hold on, let's actually see how good this guy is before we start talking him up. And he's unbelievably good. I mean, he's he's got you know when you see certain players and they've got that bit about them where you can just see straight away that this is something a bit special. Um, he's a, a very very good progressive passer he can carry the ball very well he's got a brilliant eye for goal and he's a clinical finisher there's no weakness to his game whatsoever um as much as that can be said of a you know a guy who probably lacks the physicality and strength as somebody like Mo Salah but he's young and you never know what's going to happen in terms in that respect over the coming years uh, I think he's at the perfect place for his development you know I you know, in terms of where his best position is, I'd probably say off the right, but he played 10 for most of the season at Fulham and he came off the bench and played played off the left uh, on, on debut for Liverpool. You know, he can play across the, the front line uh, in a way that suits the way that they play and, and I think he'll get a lot of minutes and the best thing for a player of that age who's had such an impressive first full season in, in men's football is to play. You know, you've got to be playing and that's why the loan market's so important and under Klopp and maybe because players like Salah and um you know even Diaz who's who's, who's of a younger younger ilk they, they're not necessarily players who have to play 90 every week I think Carvalho will be the, the first person they turn to whenever um you know whenever the the one of the wide men have to uh, have to make way and Tim Crystal Palace beaten by Arsenal as we touched upon at the start of the show did we see enough from them to think that they're going to continue to progress under Vieira I think it's clear that at the moment Conor Gallagher's a huge miss in that midfield yeah, a huge miss. I thought that that game really highlighted that actually, and it, it's a big few weeks for for a few clubs in the market. And I, I would have I would have Palace up there as really needing to add a bit of quality, certainly a Gallagher type replacement if they can, or maybe Gallagher, Gallagher will be let out on loan again. There are suggestions he potentially might be, although be. not not going to be short of suitors, obviously. But just a little bit more quality up front. You know, whether they've got the funds to do that, I'm not sure, but. You look at the front four the other night, I think it was Ayu, Eze and Zaha behind Edouard. And the bench just really lacked strength and depth for me. Um, Decore and Schlupp in midfield, not an ideal pain for me either. So I think there's just a little bit of work for them to do in the transfer market. But um, but yeah, the, the, the problem with Palace is their first four games, obviously they've had Arsenal, now it's Liverpool, and they've got, they've got Man City coming up as well. So a really difficult start. Um, and yeah, like I said, a couple of important weeks in the market for them. Yeah, Benteke has gone over to DC United as well. That was announced, I think, just basically as the game was kicking off on Friday night. Now, Nathan Ferguson, George, he's not really ever been able to get going at Crystal Palace. And once again, he's out for eight weeks. Yeah, it's sad when this happens. Uh, promising young players who, who show a lot and then they are just played by injury issues. Um, he's another one, you know, we mentioned Josh De Silva earlier. I think, you know, hopefully um, Ferguson will be the same player when he when he can get back and, and hasn't lost some of that athleticism that's been so important to, you know, it was important to the way he played and getting the move to Palace in the first place. But um, yeah, very disappointing for them. And I think I'm right in saying that, that Elise is, is injured as well um, for the next few weeks. So a few injury issues at Palace, but they, um, you know, they were, they were good when behind um, against Arsenal, which can always be... A, a, you know, in the same reason why I'm a little bit less positive on Arsenal than some, I'd I'd be a little bit wary of being overly positive on on Palace when considering just how poor they were in that first half an hour where they just couldn't get near Arsenal. Yeah, they'll be okay there, Crystal. Of course, Palace, yeah, yeah. A couple of clever additions. That they'll be okay. Vieira's done a good job there. Prediction time again, then, Tim. I'll come to you first. What's your prediction for Liverpool v Crystal Palace? Four nil, Liverpool. Nunes, couple of goals, well on his way to forty. <laughs> so someone's going to hit 40 aren't they we're going to make that happen this season we're going to keep that going and George high loads of goals I reckon yeah maybe like a 4-2 3-2 something like that to, to Liverpool I think there'll be plenty 
Interesting, yeah. Maybe Van Dijk showing a little bit of weakness against Mitrovic now, and, and Premier League strikers might think that they can, they can get past him because Mitrovic did cause him problems. But yeah, Liverpool, I'd say they're pretty surefire to win that game. That's it for this week then. Don't forget, we'll be here every Friday throughout the season. Thanks to George and Tim for joining me today. Mark Chapman's going to be back on Monday hosting the Athletic Football Podcast four times a week this season, giving you the best insight into the biggest stories across the game. And a final reminder that you can sign up to The Athletic for just a pound a month and get the best sports writing around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. To take advantage of that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash footballpodnow. See you next week. The Athletic.